All right, so if you are just joining us here today and you haven't been here the past couple weeks, we are in the middle of a very interesting and eye-opening series called Not Even a Hint. And the series is based on Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, is God's standard for our lives. And we agreed that God's standard, unfortunately, is oftentimes very different from our standard. Our standard, as far as purity, is usually like what I call the diet mentality, which is eh, too much is bad, but a little bit doesn't kill anyone. All right, we want to kind of avoid the major falls, but you know, a little nibble here and there, like we all cheat on our diets every now and then. But that's not how God looks at our purity. God says in Ephesians 5.3, But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Actually, I forgot. What I wanted to do is I wanted to recite this together, together again this week, so hopefully it'll sink in. Read this with me. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Ephesians 5.3 Not even a hint, not even a taste, not even a nibble of any kind of impurity or any kind of immorality. We agreed two weeks ago that God's standard is high. And the reason that God's standard is high is not because God wants so much from us, but because God wants so much for us. Because God knows the real path to long-term pleasure, satisfaction, fulfillment, significance. He knows the path, and He knows that these little nibbles along the way, if you remember my 7-Eleven and Outback Steakhouse example, He knows that the little nibbles of 7-Eleven hot dogs, while they may suffice us for right now, they'll never really satisfy us. But the problem with those little nibbles is, we eat it, so we stop pursuing the Outback. And then we get a little hungry, so we have a little nibble, and we stop pursuing. So God knows that we're never going to really pursue His plan until we stop nibbling on these little short-term things. So God gives us this high standard. God, like a father with His Son, loves His Son so much and wants so much good for His Son that He says, this is so good, son, that I'm not willing for you to risk losing this, so I don't want you to go anywhere near anything that's going to harm this. And God knows that even the smallest immoralities or impurities can wreck God's great plan for our lives. So that's why he says, no lust whatsoever. And we agreed that the definition of lust is not just sexual, but lust is any desire that is outside of your control. Any desire that you can't control is a lust that God wants to get under wraps. Like I said, that could be eating. That could be your thoughts. That could be what you read. That could be where you go. It could be a relationship. It could be anything that you can't control. And then last week in week two, we talked about the weapons in this warfare. And if you remember, I talked about the enemy's weapons and God's weapons. And the enemy's greatest weapon is actually not the sin. The sin is not the weapon. The weapon is the guilt and the shame that goes with it. Because the sin can repent and sin and repent, that's how it's supposed to go. But the problem is when the sin, and then the guilt, and then the shame, and then he buries us underneath there. So we agreed that we are not going to fall for that. That having desires, even sexual desires or any kind of desire, is not evil. The desire is not evil, it's the not being able to control those desires that's the evil. So we're not going to fall for it when the devil shames us, because he's going to shame us and say, you're the worst person. How could you? You're a married man. You're still desiring this. 
and you're a married woman, you still want this, you're more mature, you're still thinking this way, all God's done for you, and you still, the devil's going to try to do those things. Because the devil wants to keep us away from God's secret weapon. And what's God's secret weapon in all this? Remember? Grace. The grace of God. And if the devil can keep us away from grace of God, we have no chance. But the devil knows that if we get to grace of God and we live in grace of God and we understand it, he's got no chance. So grace of God, like we talked about last week, is what says that our standing is separate from our sanctification. You remember that? We talked about that last week. That who I am in Christ is who I am. He's put his name upon me. He's engraved my name on the palm of his hand. Whether I mess up or don't mess up doesn't change that. That's what we're going to talk about today is the process of the fighting, the growing in purity and the growing in sanctification. But my standing doesn't have nothing to do with that. Once he's put his name on me and called me his boy, his son, that's it. Devil cannot snatch that away from us and no sin can mess with that. It is so important for you to understand and if you didn't hear last week's, I encourage you to go online and listen to last week's talk because if you don't know that grace of God, you can't fight the battle we're going to talk about today. If I go out there to fight a war and I don't know if my wife is going to open the door for me when I go home, if I messed up in the war or if I wasn't the best warrior, that's going to affect the way I fight. I need to go out there and fight knowing that when I come home, she's still going to let me in. She may tug on my ear, okay, she may make me sleep on the couch for a night or two, but she's always going to open the door. God is always going to open the door for his children. And that's what grace is all about. He always opens the door. He may say a few words to you when you come inside the door, but it's never going to be a time that he shuts the door and say, you messed up out there, you didn't do good, and you can't come in. If you think that, it's going to affect the way you fight. And it's going to affect... When you start to get in trouble here, oh, I should ask for help, oh, but if he knows, that's, what, that's where the danger is, okay? That if he knows, and we try to fix it on our own without going to him. That's why we need to understand grace of God so we can run to that throne of grace to get help in time of mercy. That's, our, that's the grace. That's the standing part, which I'm not going to talk about today. But what I talk about today doesn't negate any of that. That's the important thing is that if you just listen to one without the other, don't, I'm not negating what I said. But now I'm going to talk about our part in the process. The process of purity or the process of sanctification by which we grow in holiness and we take those steps. Now I'm going to talk about the us fighting. I'm building it on the foundation of he's always going to open the door for me whether I win or lose. Whether I get knocked down or I knock the other guy down. He's always going to open the door for me. But now it's time to go outside that door and it's time to start fighting The goal of this week is for each one of us to come up with a plan. I like plans. To come up with a custom tailored plan for whatever lust you may be struggling with. The goal is that each one of us, whatever our lust may be, that by the time the week finishes, I'm going to give you some homework to do at home. You're going to come up with a plan and it's going to be written down so that you have an action plan of how you're going to attack this lust. I'll give you some examples, okay, of some people I know, real action plans that they have in life based on their lust. I know a guy who lives in today, 2012, and as unreasonable as this sounds, he does not have internet in his house. He has a house without internet because he struggles with internet pornography and he doesn't want to take the risk. And that's his plan. I know a married man who, anytime he goes to a hotel for a business trip, first thing he does, he goes 
to the TV remote control, he pulls out the batteries, and he throws them in a trash can somewhere far away. So he doesn't tempt himself with flipping around late night TV when he's by himself in the room. I know an engaged couple, or who was engaged, who, even though they were engaged, and they were almost married, they never held hands, and they never even hugged one another. And the girl would hug many other people, but she never hugged him, and he would hug many other people, and he never hugged her, because they didn't want to even come close to crossing that line. I know a guy who, probably to this day, he goes in a grocery store, and he's in the checkout line, and you can't say hi to him in the checkout line because he's looking down like this. And he just puts the groceries like this, but he doesn't want to look up because he doesn't want to see those tabloids and those ads. Am I saying that every person in the whole wide world needs to cut the internet out of their house? Every person in the whole wide world needs to stop hugging, okay, their fiance or their whatever? Everyone shouldn't be holding hands. Everyone should be walking like this when they're in the grocery store. No one should see nothing. Am I saying that that's what everyone should do? I'm not saying that necessarily, but maybe. What I'm saying is we need to adopt a new attitude towards lust and sin. And the attitude we need is a whatever it takes. A whatever it takes mentality. Meaning we're not going to say, well, I'm not going to do this because that would be crazy. We're not going to say that. We're going to say whatever it takes. I'm not going to start off by throwing all the batteries in my remote control away. I'm not going to start off by pulling all the wires out of the internet. I'm not going to start off with that. I'm going to start off with this. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to try this. If it doesn't work, I'm going to try this. And whatever it takes mentality. We need to take the attitude. That's what my doctor said with my wrist. When the first wrist first happened, he said, we're going to let it rest and see how that goes. That didn't go very well. So we're going to try this. And that didn't go so well either. Then we're going to try this. And whatever it takes, we're going to fix the wrist to the point where they inject stuff in my hand and I almost passed out from pain a couple days ago because I have never felt so much pain in my life as the excruciating pain of, of, of it felt like someone crushing my hand but whatever it takes and if that doesn't work I'm go back and they want me to they said surgery but I don't want surgery but if that's what it takes that's what it takes that's what we need to have that attitude towards sin and towards lust our problem is we want to stop it to a degree we need to get rid of that to a degree. You know what the degree that the Bible tells us we should have? Hebrews 12.4. says, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. I wouldn't start off with bloodshed, but the Bible says, as long as you're still alive and you still got blood in you, you're not done fighting against sin. And as long as you can try something else, you're going to try something else. Let's be very honest and be very real. Last week was Grace of God week was happy-go-lucky week. And some of you loved Grace of God week. And some of you, that's the best. But some of you loved it too much. Some of you loved it too much. Because this week is hard work week. And we don't want either of the two extremes. Okay? Grace of God without our part, one, if, one without the other, and in right. We don't want to just say, okay, God, grace of God, He does everything, we do nothing. We also don't want to be the, all of our efforts. We need to be healthily balanced. So some of you, grace of God, fantastic. But if grace of God is being used as a motivation to sin, you don't understand grace of God. Because grace of God is not an excuse to sin. It's actually a motivation to fight sin. Because like I said, I know I'm accepted. And I know my wife loves me. So now I go out there and I can be strong and I can fight the good fight. It is easy to sit here, to listen and to talk about how bad the problem is and then do absolutely nothing about it. 
We don't want to be those kind of people. Jesus, again, had a whatever-it-takes mentality, and he taught that to us. Matthew 5, 29-30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, for it is more profitable you that one of your members perish and your whole body to be cast into hell. Do you know what it would take to cut out your eye? Like, okay, cut off a finger, all right, a toe, okay, and even an ear, okay. But an eye? Come on. Like, that's extreme. Then he goes, and I can speak very, you know, personally about this one. He says, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. It is more profitable that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Like, do you know what it would take to make you decide to cut off your right hand or your right eye? That's too extreme. But God says, whatever it takes. He said, I'm not saying start by plucking eyes. I'm not saying start by cutting off extremities. I'm saying start by fast and pray. But if that doesn't, you got to step it up. If the, if the medicine isn't cutting, you got to up the dosage. And if the devil's going to increase his dosage, we're going to increase our dosage. And we're never going to stop. Whatever it takes mentality is the mentality that we need to have. Repentance doesn't mean I feel bad about my sin, I realize it's bad, and I do nothing about it. Repentance means make a change. Change of mind, change of behavior. And maybe today, maybe today, maybe this week, God will challenge you to cut some stuff out of your life. Cut some people out of your life. Cut some hobbies out of your life. Maybe. What are you going to do when He calls you to do that? How many people come to me and say, Father Anthony, I want to know the will of God. I want to know God. I want God to speak to me. Okay, well, what if He comes right now and says, Cut this out of your life? Pluck out your right eye. Cut off your best friend. Cut off this hobby. Quit your job. What if he comes and says that? Says that this, ever since you started this job, has been nothing but bad. What if he comes and says, I need you to attack this. And I'm not saying I expect you to be perfect today, but I need you to do something about it. You can do anything about it? You're just going to sit there and cry, when is God going to speak to me? He's speaking to you. He's speaking loud and clear. You're the one who's not doing anything about it. Don't blame him. You want God's voice? You want God's will? Then be ready to pluck some stuff. Be ready to cut some stuff out. That's our goal for today. We need an attack plan. All right? We need an attack plan. We need to not just sit there and be reactive people. We need to be proactive people. We don't want to just play defense. We want to play offense. We don't want to just sit back and say, I hope I don't fall. What we want to do is we want to roll up our sleeves and we want to say, okay, there's the enemy. And this is how the enemy always fights me. So instead of walking into the ambush every single time and being shocked that every time I fell again, I fell again, what I'm going to do is I'm going to strategize. And I'm going to say, okay, he usually comes from this side, so you know what, I'm going to sneak up on him this side. Or I'm going to do something on this side. You are only, sports analogy, Olympics analogy, if you, Olympics, okay, sports, whatever. You're only as strong as your weakest link. You're only as strong as your weakest link. Okay, in any team sport, if I got great, 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 and then weak, let's forget about team sport. Let's go even, let's go Red Rover, Red Rover. Okay, you all remember that one, right? Red Rover, Red Rover, send Joe Schmo over. Okay? Strong, 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 strong. If there's weak here, then it doesn't, their strength is, is worthless. It provides no value because the devil's always going to come through the weakest link. Do you even know your weakest link? Do you know where the hole is in your fence? What are you doing about it? 
How are you protecting it? That's what our goal is today, is to study the patterns that usually we fall into so we kind of figure out where's our weakest link and then put an extra soldier over there and, and firm that area up. It's time to stop walking blindly through life, falling into the same ditch over and over and over and over and over without at least knowing that the ditch is there and doing my best to, come, to go around the ditch in some way. Here's my money-back guarantee at the start here. All right, and I'm going to say it now, and then by the end, you'll understand. I 100% money-back guarantee you that if you do what I'm telling you to do, you will find victory over your lust. 100%. Now people are getting their papers and pens out and ready to start taking notes, huh? Now you're ready to start taking notes? I'll tell you why I guarantee that by the end. Let's go through the three steps of our attack plan. Number one, recognize your uniqueness. Recognize your uniqueness. Every single person who's sitting here today has a different background, has different upbringing, has different environment, has different strengths, different weaknesses, has different habits, hobbits, likes, dislikes. Everyone has different stuff. So because of that, all of those factors combine to make me a unique person with unique set of weaknesses. No one's weaknesses are the same. All of us have a different set of areas that we are most vulnerable in. Why that's important? Because the worst thing that you can do in the, in the battle against lust is think that you are somehow good because you don't, and then you fill in the blank with someone else. Mm, I'm good because thank God I don't suffer like that person suffers. That person deals with that, thank God I don't, I'm okay on lust. Or most people my age struggle with this, thank God. I don't, I don't really do that, so I'm okay. The worst thing that you can do is compare yourself to anyone else and think that you're okay because you don't fall into their weaknesses. Bible says not even a hint. You may not struggle with pornography. You may not. You may not look at pornography on the internet. But how about the TV shows that you watch? How about the magazine articles that you read? Maybe the internet isn't a struggle for you. But maybe some of those ads and those shows are a little more than not even a hint of sexual immorality. You may be single and say, you know what, thank God, I'm, I'm a virgin, I haven't, you know, lost my virginity, thank God. But if you're messing around with your boyfriend, girlfriend, and everything up to virgin, losing your virginity, does that really mean you don't struggle with lust? It's great that you don't watch X-rated movies, but I got news for you. Some of those romantic comedies are just as immoral, if not more immoral, and just as lustful as the X-rated movies. Don't judge anyone else's weakness and don't overlook your own weaknesses. Everyone is different, everyone is unique. The goal is not to reach some standard objective level of I don't do A, B, C, and D. These are the big ones and then these are minor ones. That's not the way it is and I'll explain that in a little bit more. The goal is that whatever desire is outside of my control, that I bring that under the control of God. Now let me speak specifically to the ladies. Okay, because let me tell you some of the feedback 
that I've been hearing from some of the ladies. Okay, you guys, you're going to enjoy this one. Okay? Because there's a tendency to think we're talking about impurity, we're talking about lust. You know, that's a guy thing. All right? That's what the guys struggle with. And the guys, you know, how could they? You know what I mean? Like, you know, being all defiled and like looking and staring at women, okay? And like checking them out on the beach and on the, the, the grocery store tabloid thing that he was talking about. How dare they? How immoral of them? I said that lust is a desire that's outside of your control. Ladies, is there a chance that your desire to be admired by men and to be attractive by men is what's leading them to fall into their desires and not control their desires? That desire to be desired and that desire to be attractive, that's a lust. That's a desire. And again, like I said last week, I'm not saying you're bad because of it. God made you to want to be desirable to your husband or to be desirable. Okay, that's not bad. But if you can't control it and that causes you to dress a certain way, behave a certain way, smell a certain way, okay? That's lust. I read a nice quote about that. It was talking about how, don't, don't no one be offended by this, okay? We're, we're sharing and we're open, okay? It said that men, more men watch pornography, but more women commit pornography. More men watch pornography, but more men commit it. I'm sorry, but more women commit it. <laughs> See, even the, the slip is that it's always our fault, okay? It's always our fault in the end, okay? We do this and we do that. The point is, easy to judge lust in others' lives while overlooking our own. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. If you don't think that you struggle with lust and you think that you don't have a problem with it, St. Paul says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The people who often think they're the safest are the ones who are most at risk. If I got two soldiers out there fighting, or two, I'm sorry, two soldiers out there in the battleground. You know the one I'm more worried about? Not the one who has more in a more dangerous area. The one who doesn't know that he's even in a war. The one who doesn't even know that there's enemies around him. And there's bullets flying and grenades flying and, and landmines around. That's the one I'm really worried about. And if you think that this is a great series for him or a great series for that guy, therefore let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. That's why... Like I said, there's no one-size-fits-all for lust. Yeah, do this and you'll solve all your lust problems. Your lust may be in a completely different area. You need a customized plan. That's why I'm not talking generalities today. I'm talking specifics that each one of us needs to get to. That's number one. Recognize your uniqueness. Number two, identify the triggers. Identify the triggers. Everyone has triggers. And the triggers are not the problem, but the triggers trigger problems are they called triggers or they set off the problem all right true story i know someone you may know as well someone who suffers from migraine headaches migraines are the worst i've never had a migraine headache i don't even know what it means okay like sometimes you know i stub my toe that really hurts a lot i can only imagine migraine is much worse migraines really really bad and the doctor pretty much said there's nothing really you can do about the migraines you're just going to suffer from it i can't treat the migraines but this person was smart enough to figure out what triggers the migraines and they found that certain foods, I guess caffeine or something like that, triggers those migraines. So by avoiding the caffeine, I didn't solve the migraine problem. There's still a problem there. But I started attacking the triggers, and I, this person lives a much 
healthier, painless, pain-free lifestyle, not 100%, but they've done a really good job of removing a big percentage of the pain that they had. Not because they attacked the problem, but because they attacked the trigger. And the triggers are usually a lot easier to combat than the actual problem itself. Can I say, do this and you'll have no lust ever? Can I remove lust from inside me? Can I? Can I remove pride from inside me? Can I remove selfishness from inside me? No, I can't. Because I'm a human being, I have a sinful human nature, I can't remove lust. But what I can do is find the things that trigger the lust. And find these little things that, just these little things that set it off and that create the domino effect. And I can attack those triggers. Every big sin started, I don't even want to say as a small sin. It started as a small eh, compromise, shall we say. It didn't start as a big sin. didn't even start as a small sin. It started as a small, eh, what's the big deal? A small when in Rome. It started as something small where I negotiated with sin. Isn't that what happened to Eve? Eve didn't start by saying, hey, can someone help me disobey God? She didn't start that way. She said, devil said, eh, she said, well, are you sure? Just that little negotiation. Triggers seem small, but they have big effects. What I'm talking about right now is the daily and the hourly decisions that we make on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis. The little decisions of where to go, what to flip to, what to do with these next 15 minutes of free time. Those little decisions that set off a world of hurt. I love this verse from Romans 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. What does this mean when it says make no provision for the flesh? What does that mean? Make no provision for the flesh. What does that mean? You know what I think of when I think of this verse? I think of my wife. I think of when, let's say, me and my family were gonna go on a road trip. Okay? Just a day trip. What is my wife going to make sure that she does before we leave the house? She's gonna make sure to, to what's she gonna do? She's gonna prepare food, okay? Because that's how she is and that's how all of you are, okay? That's what she's gonna do. And she's not gonna do it haphazardly. She's going to make provision for each of the members of the family. This is Michael. This is what he likes. This is what I pack Michael. This is Lizzie. This is what she likes. This is what I pack Lizzie. This is Daddy. This is what Daddy likes, okay? Daddy doesn't care what. Daddy just cares how much. That's what Daddy always asks, all right? She thoughtfully goes through and packs a little sandwich, a little lunch for every single one in the family. She makes provision for us. Do you make provision for lust? Making provision for lust, to me, is feeding the lust. And when we feed the lust, we do so by small decisions. Small little, hmm, this little conversation isn't a big deal, but this little conversation fed the lust. This song on the radio may not be a big deal, but it fed the lust. This hobby, this whatever it may be, this location, this relationship may not be the biggest deal, but it's feeding the lust. Think of lust inside you like a fire. A fire. 
Make no provision for lust means don't attack the fire. But you can kill the fire without ever touching the fire. How? Cut off the oxygen from coming into it. Make no provision for lust means stop the sources that are feeding the lust. These conversations are feeding your lust. Get rid of them. Trips to the mall are feeding your lust. Get rid of it. Watching these TV shows are feeding your lust. Get, get it out. Just cut these areas off. Isolate the fire. Leave it. What's going to happen with time? Is that fire will weaken and weaken. It's never going to go away, but it's going to weaken. And you're going to starve the fire. So ask yourself these questions. I wrote them in your handout. Ask yourself, what triggers your lust? What triggers your lust? Where are you weakest? And I gave you some sample questions. Consider, what times of day are you the weakest? Morning? Nighttime? After work? Before work? After a meeting with? Or after a conversation with? After, like, consider the times of the day and study it. Don't fight harder, fight smarter. When are you most susceptible to falling? These things are patterns. Second, what locations? Maybe certain stores or certain malls or certain friends' houses or certain, like I said, hotels or airports. Where are you at your weakest? Where are you most likely to fall? Make no provision for lust. Certain activities. Like I said, watching TV, going to the movies. Just as a side note, this is one of the reasons why I don't know how to live without a DVR. All right, when TiVo came into the world, greatest thing ever for so many reasons, but honestly, this is one of the best reasons because I don't want to flip around. And I don't want my kids to flip around. The rule is, this is what we record, this is what we watch, when this is over, we turn it off. We don't want to be flipping around. There's 10 bazillion channels out there and I don't want to know what the channels are. I want to watch what I want to watch and I don't watch nothing else. Make no provision for lust. Certain websites, certain books, certain magazines. Your mind is like your body. If you feed it junk, it will be junk. Okay, and what you read or what you intake into your mind is your food for your brain. Last thing I wrote there is certain music. Because music, I feel, I feel like music, when we, music becomes like our friend. We take them with them everywhere we go. Okay, we have them in our ears at all times. It becomes like a companion. That we're be we become best friends with the music that we listen to. Make no provisions for lust. Ask yourself where you're weakest. What triggers your lust? And consider those points. As you do that, step three. Write down a plan. you got to write something down on paper. If you don't write something down, then you accomplish nothing. If you wrote nothing, you accomplish nothing. Consider the questions that I just asked you about when you're most tempted, where you're most tempted. Consider how you can prepare for those times, or even better, how you can avoid them altogether. How you can circumnavigate any circumstances that might be tempting for you. And answer this question that's in your handout. What little battles do you need to be fighting more faithfully? What little battles do you need to be fighting more faithfully? And here's what I want you to do after you answer that question. I think I wrote it in your handout. To describe in detail. Is that what in there? To describe what it would look like when you're fighting. Is it right? Say that. Because I want you to picture it. I want you to visualize it before you actually live it. I want you to visualize, like I said, going into the hotel room, taking the batteries out, throwing them in the hallway. I want you to visualize 
going into this conversation and telling the lady, hey, you know what? Let's talk about this today instead of this or whatever. Okay? I want you to visualize going into the mall and walking by that store and not even looking. I want you to visualize it. What small little decisions do you need to do a better job in fighting and visualize it and write it down. This is what's going to look like. If you can't see it here, you'll never see it here. Here's what's going to happen when you write down your custom plan. You're going to, at the beginning, be discouraged. You know why? Because as you're answering these questions, what I discovered is sin is much more discouraging on paper. Like sin up here, yeah, I got struggles, okay? But when I start to write it down, it becomes a lot uglier. That's okay. Fight through that. Don't be discouraged. Yes, it will make you feel worse at the beginning to write it down on paper, but think about how much more likely to succeed you are when you have a plan on paper that says, this is where my weakest link is, this is how I'm going to attack it. And then we eventually we'll talk about accountability, that we'll add that in there too. This is where I'm weakest at this time of day when I'm stressed out after my boss yelled at me and I come home, I'm most susceptible. I'm going to write it down right here. Or, when things are not going good for me at home, I'm most flirtatious in this way. I'm going to write it down right here, and this is what I'm going to do. So I don't need to think about it. I already got the battle plan. When X, then Y. I'm not saying, again, just so we understand, I'm not saying that having a plan is going to solve all your problems. But what I'm saying is it's going to take you a big percentage of the way. Grace of God, our efforts. Those are the two. We want to keep those in check. Work out your Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Balance. Don't go to one extreme or the other. I don't want anyone to think I'm going to the extreme of it's all, it's all about you. Yes, you need to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Why? Because God is working in you to will you to do it, to push you to do it, to motivate you to do it, to strengthen you to do it. So you go and do it. And you rely between this and this. And when the two are working together, that's when you find success and you find victory. Question. That's the plan. But this is the most important part of the plan is understanding what's the goal of the plan. What are you trying to accomplish? The goal of the plan is not to stop lust. The goal of the plan is to grow in purity. The goal of the plan is not to stop lust. The goal of the plan is to grow in purity. Doesn't it seem like two sides of the same coin like you say tomato I say tomato aren't they the same thing and if I stop lust I grow in purity let me ask you if you stop lust does that mean you're growing in purity let me ask you this if you're growing in purity does that mean you'll never lust again the two are completely different things let me explain to you stopping lust is results oriented stopping lust is a result and that goes back to week one where I talked about most of the time our battle against lust is me-driven. It's based on my standard and my desire for me. That's not God. The result of, I'll never say this. I'll never do this. I'll never look at this. That's what we want. We want to stop lust. 
But just because you do that, like this, is not the same as growing in purity. Growing in purity, for you to say, my goal is to grow in purity, shows that you understand that purity is not a switch. Purity is a process. You have been practicing all kinds of immorality for so many years of your life. All right, I'm 35. For 35 years of my life, I've been doing this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And I think I'm going to just show up today, say a prayer, listen to a talk, and flip a switch that magically negates all that. And magically, I don't do any of that again. That ain't happening. You didn't, you didn't fall into this mess overnight. You ain't getting out overnight. You are not going to stop. The process is not from impure to pure overnight. So what is it then? How's the process look? I like to think of this. We usually look at purity as categories. Okay? There are things that are pure and things that are impure. This bucket, bad. This bucket, good. So I'm doing some things in this bucket. I would like to get out of this bucket and get into this bucket. Okay? And as long as all my activities are in this bucket, then I'm pure. And if any activities here, those are bad. I should get those out and go over here. That's completely wrong. Completely wrong. That's like I said, the person who's a virgin but does everything else but thinks he's doing pure because he hasn't crossed the virginity line. That's ridiculous. Purity is not about this bucket or that bucket. Because again, that's based on some objective standard which doesn't exist. Purity, think of purity as the center, right here. That's purity. Purity is a person, is Christ. And the goal is to be pure as Christ is pure. You are somewhere on that line. You started off at the top and you started going through life. And you're walking along in life. And what happens is you're walking along in life, you're getting closer. You're getting closer. And then there's going to be obstacles. And some obstacles will be small ones. And you'll see it, it'll be like a little speed bump. You'll slow down, but you'll hop right over it. And you'll keep on going. You keep on circling, getting closer and closer. And then sometimes you find big obstacles. And those big ones, you pause. And you stop, and you fight, and you think, and you pray, and eventually, maybe you overcome, and you keep on going. Sometimes, be a big temptation, one that knocks you back, and even kicks you off the circle for a couple weeks, or a couple months, or a couple years, and you're not even on the circle anymore. But, you can repent, you can get back on, and you pick back up, and you keep on going. Don't look at purity as a point in time where I have overcome whatever. Purity is that wherever you are on this circle today, wherever you are, take a step forward. That's it. It doesn't matter if you are at the beginning or at the end. It doesn't matter. Because it doesn't matter if you do this or you do this or you do this. All these are equal in God's eyes. God doesn't really care. What God does care about is, are you today taking a step forward? You don't struggle with internet stuff. Fantastic. But maybe your thoughts take a step in your thoughts. You don't struggle with your thoughts, but maybe you anger. Take a step with your anger. Whatever it is, wherever it is that you are on here, and becoming like Christ, take a step forward and realize that everything that comes in front of you today is a chance to take a step forward towards purity. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday or the day before or the day before or the day before. What matters is the step that's in front of me right now and I may not do anything tomorrow or the next day, but right now, there's a step in front of me. There's a temptation in front of me. 
I want to fight that temptation. I want to take a step, and I have grown in purity. I'm more... See, the devil would like to tell you that, hey, you did good Monday, you did good Tuesday, you did good Wednesday, you did Thursday, Friday, but you fell on Saturday? Okay, back to level one. Okay, then keep... And then back to... That's what the devil wants to tell you. And that's really discouraging. Because if you know I'm going to fall at some point in time, why don't we just cut out the middle man just stay down here? But that ain't right. Every victory is a step towards purity. Every victory, every conversation is a step towards purity. Every time you're driving down the road and there's a pretty little girl that walked by and you turn your head this way, that's a victory. Even if the next one, you stare at. But you had one victory and then the next day get two victories and three victories. That's a victory. How long does it take to reach the middle circle? How long does it take? That's a lifetime. That's your whole life. It'd be great if we get there earlier, but it's unlikely. That's a whole life journey. And that's what I'm saying is, forget the results-oriented mentality. Throw that out the window. Because even if you avoided this in this bucket, you still need to grow in this. And then what you accomplish, you need to grow in this. Until you can say, I am exactly like Jesus Christ, then you still got work to be done. And, and we're not judging this person or this person, because we're all on the same thing, just at different spots. And it doesn't really matter. Let me tell you this way. You know the widow with two mites. I love the story of the widow with two mites in Mark 12. Let's read this story, and I'll tell you why she's the best person in the whole wide world. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. He saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrants, which is worthless, absolutely nothing. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to, given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. What does Jesus care about? The result or the process? What does he care about? About how much people put in? About what people put in? What does he care about? He cares about the process, about how they put in. I got news for you. You who struggle with lust. There are some people who, whatever reason, God's grace is upon them, they don't really struggle with some of the things you struggle with. They don't struggle with the internet. They don't struggle with the thoughts. They don't struggle with the sexual stuff. Hey, that's fantastic. I'm saying you. You got this much struggles. They got nothing. I'm saying you with this much struggles and you fighting and you still fell this many times and this person not fighting fell zero times God looks at that differently than he looks at that. God looks at that better than he looks at that. God looks at that better than he looks at that. Someone who doesn't fall, whose results are great, are fantastic. This one's results are horrible. But this one is fighting his guts out. And this one is not even a fight for them. That one is much more in God's eyes. How can I say that? Because I know a story about one time where there was a group of people. And one brought in a lot of good results financially to the church or to the temple. One, results-wise, brought in a lot. And one, results-wise, was worthless, insignificant. No one would notice the results that this lady brought in to the, church, to the temple. No one would notice the results. But Jesus noticed. Not the results, but the process. The effort that she put in. And I'm telling you, that's the way it is with lust. God looks at effort, not results. 
I always say, if God was teaching a class, 100% of the grade would be participation. Let's be honest. A lot of us can relate to the widow with two mites, can't we? Because we fight, and we fight, and we fight, and our results are zero. Zero results. And we've been fighting, and we've been scrounging, and the result, zero. Then we look at that guy, and that guy's just got it all together. And that guy's got it made, because that guy doesn't struggle with what I struggle with. And yippee for that guy. But God looks at me differently than he looks at that guy. Much different. I can't tell you how many people sitting here today are struggling with lust. Struggling to the point they feel like there's no hope in even trying. I don't know if it's because of this series. I don't know if it's always been there, but we're just taking note of it now. We didn't take note of it before, but I can't tell you because I don't want to betray people's confidence. How many people are sitting here today that are feeling like, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I'm a zero. All of my effort, the end result is zero. Who said you're a failure? Who said you're a failure? Did God say you're a failure? Did God say that you're a failure because your result is zero? Or is that what the enemy is saying to you? Don't stop fighting. Don't stop fighting. Don't stop fighting. I told you in the beginning, I guarantee victory. You know why? You know why I can guarantee victory? Because the result has nothing to do with the victory. You thought I was saying, I guarantee your results will be good. I'm not guaranteeing your results to be good. But I'm guaranteeing that if you fight, you'll be victorious. Because that's what victory is defined by, the fight. That as long as you are fighting, grace of God is working, and then you are working. Grace of God is working, and then you are working, and you are fighting. Even if your result is zero, I promise you that you will one day stand next to the widow with two mites. And you'll say, you are the best lady in the whole wide world because you inspired me. Because you showed me that even though I'm worthless, and even though my results are worthless, I have so much value in God's eyes and significance in God's eyes because of the effort and because of the fight, not because of the results. Too many of us are discouraged today because the results are poor. Well, I'm telling you, the results have nothing to do with it. Have nothing to do with it. Don't stop fighting. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wanted you to get excited at the beginning of this series. He wanted you to fight. He wanted you to fail. And then you would quit and say, see, even when I fought, I fell. I'm saying even when you fight, you're winning. And even when you fail, you're winning is what I meant to say. He says even when you fight, you lose. I say even when you lose, you win. Even when you lose, you win as long as you keep fighting. The goal of our life is to be pure as Christ. The goal of today is to take one step in that direction. Regardless of what that step is or what our struggle is, just take one step. Let's stand up for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you from the depth of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, which is never-ending, because without it, Lord, we couldn't even be sitting here today. And without your grace, Lord, 
you should have destroyed us like a thousand times. Like those the wicked vine dressers in the story we read this morning. Lord, none of us deserve to be here. And none of us deserve another chance. Lord, we don't want it to squander opportunity after opportunity. We want to, Lord, take a step. And we want to keep on fighting. And you know, Lord, how many of us are discouraged. How many of us don't even want to try. We just want to quit. But Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the weak souls, that you would encourage the discouraged souls that don't want to fight and don't want to believe that there's hope of success here. Lord, we just want a quick fix and end it, but we know that, that that's not how you design it. So give us, dear Lord, the perseverance and give us to, as you said, by our patience, possess our souls and to fight the good fight until the very end. I pray, Lord, not that you would give us good results, that you would help us to give good effort, knowing, Lord, that, that you accepted the widow with the two mites and you will accept us no matter what it is as long as we're giving you that effort. Bless our gathering right here, Lord, and each and every single person as they go home today. Lord, let them not leave the same way they came. Let them be touched and transformed by you and let them leave with a little bit of extra you in their life that you can help them to fight the good fight. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.